We are um, kicking off a new uh, conversation for Lent. Lent is the season in the church year when we uh, turn our uh, minds and our hearts to the theme of repentance. Um, repentance means to rethink things. It means to change your mind. It means when you're in a hole to stop digging. And that's difficult to do, so we we spend um, six weeks every every uh, spring uh, thinking about repentance and thinking about how um, we need to repent. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about repentance um, because repentance is the is the most important decision we can make in a life of faith, and we're going to see uh, that in our reading today. Um, uh, <clears throat> Which begins like this. It says, some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. And, um, that reminded me when I, when I was uh, in graduate school uh, doing my field education at a local church near the, near the uh, seminary, um, the, the church I was in, it was one of the old school type, uh, churches with the great big pulpit on one side. Uh, so it was on that side, the gospel side, and the, um, the epistle side over here was where the, where the small, you know, the baby pulpit was. But the, uh, the big pulpit was over here, and there was a little sign on the inside of it that no one could see on the inside of the pulpit. Uh, the only person who could see it was the preacher, and it was this line from scripture. Um, it said, Sir, we would see Jesus. And it was a reminder to the preacher that, that you're going to have all kinds of things you want to bring to the pulpit. You're going to want to bring, um, your, your politics. You're going to want to bring your, your, um, uh, reading, your, your art, your literature, your science. There's all kinds of great things you would like to bring into that pulpit. And it was a reminder to the, the, the preacher that they didn't come for that. That the people you're looking out at are in the same position as these Greeks who came to Jesus, uh, came to Philip and said, we would see Jesus. And so it's a reminder that these, these other things are good, but they're not the most important thing. That you can use them in service to the greater thing. That you can bring literature, you can even bring politics into the pulpit in service to the goal of the preaching task, which is to help people see Jesus. So, so, um, the, the reason that, uh, I think that that's uh, helpful to us is because um, uh, there are important decisions we have to make um, as uh, here. There we go. There, we, we, we each face uh, important decisions, and uh, there is one decision that is the most important decision. It is the decision to repent. And uh, again, repent is a church word, and um, if I tell you it means rethink, that still doesn't really answer the question. So we're going to see what it means in this passage. So we read that there are these Greeks who who came to to uh, talk to Jesus, and um, they're going to lead him to a decision. Uh, the most important decision, I would say, that he will make or that any of us can make. Now, we might think that Jesus' most important decision was to save the world or something like that, and that's true, uh, but that's not a decision that we can make. We don't get to make that decision. This is a decision that Jesus actually says we will make too. So um, you may think, well, what's the most important decision I can make? Well, Maybe you'd say it's to follow Jesus. And I would say that is the secondary uh, most, that is the second most important decision. The most important decision is to repent. It is to change your mind. And so we're going to see that's a decision we actually share with Jesus. So, so these Greeks show up and, um, uh, who are the Greeks? Well, the Greeks are, 
uh, probably not actually people from Greek from Greece. They're probably people from the Greek culture. So uh, 300 years earlier, Alexander the Great had conquered uh, pretty much the known world at that time. And uh, that culture, he had spread Greek culture all across uh, the Middle East, all the way through India. And um, uh, through, uh, so... Uh, um, to, to the boundary of India. And so it was, it was all over the Middle East and, and the, uh, um, the, the areas leading up to India. And, um, it had, it had survived in pockets, um, even in the Holy Land. And so when, when he says, uh, that these Greeks came, what he probably means is people who live in one of the areas where there was more of that, uh, Greek culture. And they come to Jesus, uh, they, they come to the, the, the festival in Jerusalem, which tells us that they are probably God fears. That means that they are, are um, they've they've decided that they like the the God that the Jews worship more than the 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 pagan gods that their ancestors uh, worshipped, and so they're intrigued by the things of the Jews. They have not actually become converts to Judaism, though, so they're still called Greeks. And when they hear this Jesus guy talking, they say, we'd like to know more. So they come to one of his disciples, Philip, and they say, sir, we want to meet Jesus. And Philip uh, seems not to know what to do, so he goes to Andrew. And Andrew, they, they, they go together to ask Jesus. And the funny thing there is we want to know, okay, well, you've introduced us to these Greeks. What happens to the Greeks? And we don't find out. Jesus, for all we know, said, sure, and then had a great conversation. Or maybe Jesus said, no, I'm too busy. You know, this is the Passover. I've got to go cleanse the temple or whatever it is he's thinking about. Uh, no Greeks today. We don't know because whatever it was, it is, in John's estimation, unimportant compared to what Jesus says next. So so the Greeks kind of, they, they show up and then they disappear. They're just there to, to provoke a thought in Jesus, which is this. Jesus... Uh, uh, thinks about the Greeks in some way. We don't know what else he does, but um, he says, now is the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. So Jesus says, now the time has come. And this is this is a hinge in John's telling of the biography of Jesus, because up until this point, Jesus has always said, um, my time has not yet come. If you look at, if you look at the, the famous first miracle he performs where he changes the water to wine, his mother comes to him and says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, dear woman, not my problem. You know, that's not my table. Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And he's been doing this throughout the book of John, throughout John's biography. He said this all the way through that his time has not yet come. And it is the arrival on the scene of these Greeks who say, we want to see Jesus that makes him realize his time has come. So Jesus says that now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. What what do you mean by that? What do you the time for what? Well he goes on. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. This is the farming metaphors. Jesus' ministry was filled with uh, farming metaphors. We're going to see more of them throughout this whole season of Lent. We're going to see the way that, that these important spiritual truths are illustrated with these farming metaphors. And so Jesus says that, that um, a kernel of wheat, if, it's, if you just like leave it out of the ground... It, it stays a kernel of wheat, but it's just a kernel of wheat all by itself. But if you plant it, if you put it in the ground and it dies, then it will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. 
Jesus is looking at these Greeks and realizing that there are people who are disconnected from God. There's people who do not have a connection with God and that by carrying out his mission, he can connect them to God. And then he reflects this. He says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. So what 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 does he mean by that? Jesus is using two words for life here. He's talking about your animating force, the thing that distinguishes you from a plant, or the, the, the hour you die, something will have changed. He's talking about that kind of life, that, that you know, on one side of, of your, your biological death, you are alive, and then a few minutes later, you're not. And why is, why is that? Well, that, that thing that it distinguishes it is your life. And so he uses the word that means your life, your, your biological, um, your biological uh, life. And then he says, um, if you lose, if you love your life in this world, you will lose it. And those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. So if you care about that, that, um, that animating force in the world, the, the thing that keeps your body moving, that is going to go away someday. You are going to lose it. And you don't have to be a Christian or think anything about God to know that. You just know you are going to die someday. You are going to lose that life. But he says there's a different kind of life that you can be concerned about. And those who care nothing for the first kind can preserve the other kind. He uses a different word for, for life. He says those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it, the, this eternal life, um, so he says we're we're too easily concerned about the wrong kind of life. And then he says to us, he's been thinking about his own situation, and then he says, hey, and you disciples need to pay attention because you're going to face the same decision. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because where my because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. So Jesus is saying that you're going to have to make the decision. Well, what is the decision? Here is the decision. He says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from my from this hour? Should I ask God, who has answered every prayer I've ever given him, should I ask God, preserve my animation, preserve my animating force, preserve the thing that's keeping this body alive? Or not? He says, this is the very reason I came, to lose that life. So he says, Father, bring glory to your name. So he says, this is the essence. This is the important decision. So our first point, discipleship is following Jesus dying to self. What, what do we mean by that? Well, Jesus has talked about this elsewhere too. Just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage from Matthew. Um, Jesus says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So Jesus has said the same kind of thing elsewhere. But what does he mean? What what does it actually mean to to give up your life? Well, it may mean going to a cross the way Jesus did. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about people who are persecuted for their faith, even today in different parts of the world. So we, we've seen that it may involve actual death. But what it certainly means is dying to self. So what is dying to self? The best example I can think of as dying to self comes from this, from, from the language of repentance. Remember, to repent is to rethink things, to change your mind. So I want you to imagine a scenario. You're driving along, and 
you realize or the person next to you realizes that you have missed your turn? Do you feel relief that somebody has straightened you out? Or do you feel irritation? It's like, why did you tell me that? You know, do you immediately want to transfer that, that frustration? Um, or, or do you feel, oh, good, you know, I've been straightened out. I think most of us at least have a momentary flash of irritation. Famously, uh, according to comedians at least, uh, men are particularly susceptible to this, but I, I've, I've known some women who, who get irritated when they're, when they find that they're on the wrong path too. So, so that moment, that moment of saying, I know at some level that what I'm doing is not helpful, but it's very irritating to have that brought to my attention. If you think of what is that thing? Why, why is it irritating to be corrected? That is your self-love. That is, that, that, that's not all of it, but that's, that's the most obvious place where we can, we can point to it and say, yeah, there's something wrong with that. I should be grateful to be corrected, and instead I'm irritated that I've been corrected. Whether it's my, my, uh, GPS or, or the person sitting in the car next to me, that moment of being corrected, that irritation, is our self-love. It's a, it's a, it's an illustration of our self-love. The um, the Christian writer C.S. Lewis, he says this, this repentance, he says, is no fun at all. It's something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will we've been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing a part of yourself. And he says, well, can't God just take us back if we don't do that? If it's so hard, can't God just take us back? He says, you, you can't do that. He says... He says, if you ask God to take you back without it, you're really asking him to let you go back without going back. You're, you're asking the impossible. Not because God's unwilling, but because you're saying, I want to be in two places at once. I want to go on down this path, but at the same time, I want to turn around and, and get reconnected to God. And he says, that's the problem. So you have to turn around. You have to go back. And that may seem hard. It, 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 it may seem impossible, but... Christians say it's not. The Apostle Paul reflected on his own circumstances and he said, having done this, having learned to repent, having having given his life deeply and fully to Christ, he said, I've discovered that everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I can give up that life. I can give up that 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 I'm right and you're wrong. I can give up that that self-will, that self-conceit, I can give that up because of I know I have I now know the infinite value of Christ Jesus. So he says, for his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. A couple of decades ago, a missionary said this. He said, He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, which we can't, to gain what he cannot lose. This is what Jesus is inviting us to do. He's saying, if you follow me, this is where I'm headed. And so you should know this is exactly where you need to be going to. He says, to say, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. What is the connection there? He says, he says, he says, uh, Father, glorify your name. He's saying, basically, are you going to go God's way or your way? This is, this is what it boils down to. And he says, I'm going to pick God's way. So he says, this is the decision we all face. And he teaches us to pray that God 
uh, will make his name holy. And as I mentioned to the children, God does so. Um, God not only uh, makes his name holy, but says, says so audibly. A voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. The crowd hears the voice and they thought some of it thought it was thunder. Others declared that an angel had spoken to him. So there seems to be some sense that they, they heard it, but they didn't understand what was said. And Jesus tells them that voice was for your benefit, not for mine. The time for judging the world has come. The word judging here is, 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 um, it's where we get our, our word for crisis. And it means this is the moment of truth. Everything hangs in the balance. This is the moment of decision. Based on what Jesus does, he can cling to his life in this world or he can let go of his life and transform the world. So he says, he says, the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. As a result of what he does next, the ruler of this world, when, when Satan loses control of Jesus, whatever control he thought he had, the, the idea is that that's it. Once Jesus does this, the control is broken. That, that none of us are under the, the, the rule of Satan at this point. So he says, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And he goes on, he says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. Now, when I hear somebody say, when I'm lifted up, I don't think that he's talking about his death. But uh, John says so. And I think he realizes some of the audience wouldn't appreciate that. But the crowd understands it. The crowd says, we understood from Scripture the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? So... Uh, why was that? You know, I was thinking to myself, it may just be something that we, we cannot, that cannot be communicated in words. I'm picturing Jesus at the temple, and you know, the temple has a big, um, uh, uh, um, it's raised up on, on Mount Moriah and Mount Zion. So it's, it's this big area, and he could be looking down into the valley where they carry out the crucifixions, and he could be just kind of gesturing with his eyes or something like that. He says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw him into myself. But the audience, for whatever reason, the audience understands him to mean that. He says, he says, um, we understood that the Messiah would live forever. How can you just say that the, the man, Son of Man will die? And who is this Son of Man who will die anyway? And again, Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, Jesus says this. He says, my light will shine for you for just a little while longer. Walk in the light while you can. He says, he says, you have to make a decision. You're going to have to decide um, because all, otherwise the darkness will overtake you. So this is the most important decision. It's the most important decision Jesus makes. It's the most important decision any of us will make. But the good news is we don't have to make it cold. Jesus had to make it cold. He was the first person to fully repent, to say, God's will be done. And all we have to do is follow him. He said that where I go, my, my disciples must go also. So our decision is much easier. We have to follow Jesus. But he's warned us, this is the place I'm headed, that all of us will ultimately face that decision. So this is why we talk about repentance and Lent. It's a big topic, and it's a hard topic, because who wants to give up their life? But Jesus is warning us, this is where discipleship will take us. So I want to wrap up by talking about some of the stops along the way. If we choose to follow Jesus... There are some, some, some things we will do along the way. These are much easier. So the next couple of points. Your story is what equips you for God to use. You say, well, 
I don't know if I, I'm even, I even, I don't even know if I qualify to be a disciple of Jesus because, you know, because of my past, because of my history, because of my genealogy that we might say, well, I'm not qualified. Well, this story addresses that too. The Greeks who came to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, they paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And that's not the first time John has told us that. If we go back to chapter one, we read this. Philip was from Bethsaida. Andrew and Peter's hometown. So where is Bethsaida and how is that relevant to this story? Well, Bethsaida is at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum we hear a lot about in the, in the New Testament. We hardly hear about Bethsaida at all. The reason is Bethsaida is on the east side of the Jordan River. It's on the east side of the lake. And the people who live over there are mostly Greek. There's a higher proportion of Greeks and a lower proportion of Aramaic speakers over there. That's kind of Greek culture. You can see they even named this region of Ten Cities. Instead of giving it the Aramaic name for Ten Cities, they give it the Greek name for Ten Cities, the the Decapolis, the Decapolis. So he's from the Greek side. So these Greeks go to him and they say, hey, there are some people who are more simpatico to us. This Philip guy, he's he's got a Greek name. He's from a Greek town. Let's go to him if we want to talk to Jesus. So, So John has... John has, is illustrating for us here that, that what we might think of as a, as, a, as a detriment is actually an aid to helping us do the things that God is calling us to do. It's also interesting they come to Philip because Philip has previously shown he's quick to take people to Jesus. The day that Jesus calls him to follow him, he, uh, Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. The day that that happens, Philip goes to look for Nathaniel and t- tells him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets write about. So they maybe they know that, that Philip is quick to take people to Jesus. And that leads us to our second point. Disciples are door holders, not gatekeepers. Philip doesn't say, you know, I'm not sure you qualify, you're Greek speakers, you're even more Greek than I am. You know, I'm I'm my function here is more to be a bouncer. My 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 role here is to stand next to the velvet rope and make sure that the wrong kind of people don't get in. That's not what Philip does. Philip says, I'm not sure, but let me go ask Andrew, another guy with a Greek name from Bethsaida. And together they say, let's take this guy to, to Jesus. Jesus, when he looked at the Greeks, was reminded that there are many, many people, that there are many grains of, of um, uh, uh, wheat that his death can bring uh, into, into a relationship with God. So disciples are door holders, not gatekeepers. When Jesus is rehabilitating Simon, Simon, Simon Peter, uh, Peter has denied him, and Jesus meets him on the beach. They have breakfast, and then Jesus asks this, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And the only thing that Jesus asks him to do is to take care of his sheep, to take care of those grains of wheat that Jesus has given his life to save. Disciples are door holders, not gatekeepers. That raises the next point. Jesus will draw more than a few to himself. I say more than a few. Why do I say more than a few? Because Jesus has spoken about this in different ways. This is an active theological debate. People, people wonder, um, you know, will all be saved? Jesus says in, in uh, chapter 12, he says, I will draw everyone to myself. He's used the same language back in chapter 3. He said, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So people say, you know, how big is, how big is everyone? You know, does he mean everyone, everyone, or does he mean almost everyone, everyone? But I think what 
Jesus certainly means is more than a few. That, that if we're thinking that, you know, we've got enough, that we have our little holy huddle, that, that, you know, uh, you know, me and thee and a couple of our Christian friends are who Jesus died to save, the answer here is, well, look, look a little bigger because, because whether he means everyone, everyone, or whether he means almost everyone, everyone, Jesus is saying that he is going to draw a lot of people to himself. And then lastly, even Jesus needed to act at the right time. Jesus, up until this whole, up until this moment, Jesus has been telling people, my time has not yet come. He sees the Greeks and he says, there it is. And he tells his disciples, he tells the people who are listening, he says, you need to act when the time is right too. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. You need to make a decision. Are you going to follow me? And that, that decision will lead you to the big decision. Will you repent of being your own boss? Will you repent of leading your own life? Will you instead lead the life that God has in mind for you? Jesus talks a lot about timing our decisions, about making the right decisions at the right time. If we finish reading this chapter and we turn to chapter 13, it begins like this. Jesus knew that his hour had come. We've talked about that. Jesus is is now known because of the Greek's appearance. His hour has come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. When Jesus realized that his time had come, the first thing he does is he serves his disciples a meal to help them remember that when we are facing the hard decision, when we're facing the decision to, to first to follow him, then to, to lead other people to him, to, to be door holders and not gatekeepers, to, to recognize that Jesus has in mind saving more people than just me and my friends. When we face all these decisions and ultimately when we face the the most important decision, the decision to die to ourselves, to remember that he has paved the way for us. He has gone ahead of us and prepared a path for us. And so we remember that when we celebrate the Lord's table, the sacrament of Holy Communion. And so I want to invite you here today to receive this table, the the gift that is offered at this table in that light. Jesus, when he was... In his earthly ministry, Jesus was always the guest, whether it was a, a feast thrown by a tax collector or a banquet in the home of a Pharisee who was trying to trap him. Jesus was always the guest. But here this morning at this table, our Lord is the host, and it is we who are his guests. And he invites those of us who have great faith and those who have little. Those who have been here frequently and those who have not been in a long time or maybe never. Jesus invites you to come, not because you are worthy, but because he is worthy. And it is his will that those who want him will find him here.